I, I gotta be honest, I got distracted because I saw a cat. That's my yeah. ADHD right there. I saw a cat and my brain was like, oh, <laughs> you can't think anymore. Hey, I'm Servant. I'm a rap artist and producer from Alberta, Canada, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Krista Van Eiderstein. Krista is an ADHD coach and occupational therapist based out of Calgary, Alberta. Even if you don't have ADHD, this is a highly informative episode for creative people because being creative almost by definition shares some qualities with ADHD. I want to stress that unlike my usual guests who are brought on for their creativity, Krista is a mental health professional and though creative in her own right, I had her on so we could really dive into the nitty gritty of this condition that both plagues creative people and pleasures them all around the world. We both share our own experience as people with ADHD. We discuss the biological side, the psychological side, a bit of the existential side, common myths, and strategies for how to thrive with a high-powered race car of a brain. So without further ado, here we go. Krista Van Eiderstein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah. So you're actually a bit of a different kind of guest for me. Because whereas before I've been focused on finding guests solely for their creative output, you're someone who's actually, I would call a medical professional. You're an OT and you specialize in something that I've got a lot of familiarity with now these days, ADHD. And uh, so that's what I've got you on to talk about because there's often a lot of overlap between people who are creative and people who have, have ADHD. But Let's just start with a bit about yourself. Like, tell me a bit about how yourself and how you got into doing what you do. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting um, being called a medical professional because I don't think of myself like that. I've, I've never really worked within the medical model. Like, it, I, um, and, but it's a common thing that someone, you, you know, you, of course you would say that because um, that's sort of, I think, the understanding of occupational therapy. Um, you know, we're a very big profession where we do lots of different things and I tend to do more in mental health. I kind of think of myself as a mental health professional, but, um, but what got me into it, I, you know, I, I, when I got my first degree at university I was thinking I wanted to maybe go into becoming a veterinarian I got a degree in zoology um but I, I knew after volunteering and working in a vet clinic I knew that, that wasn't mm. going to be for me um so I spent a couple of years just sort of figuring things out and um so I've always loved science like I knew I wanted something in science but I was getting more and more drawn into psychology hmm. and, uh, and definitely almost went that, that route. But then, um, yeah, but then came across occupational therapy. My, apparently my great aunt was an occupational therapist. My mom had told me, and there was very little understanding about occupational therapy. I think at the time the profession was much smaller and, and, um, and things like that. So I looked into it, wasn't sure, but I, I ended up, um, ended up breaking a little finger actually. And that's, oh, really? I ended up getting to see a physiotherapist and an occupational therapist to, to, for rehab for this little finger that needed. Must um, have been an important finger. <laughs> well, it's funny. It was actually like my left hand, that's not my dominant hand, a little finger. It was a freak, freak accident working. I was actually working at a bank at the time. Um, but apparently this little finger um, had a, had a, cartilage tumor in it. It was a weak bone that was going to, huh. could break at any time. And so this freak thing happened. I think, I think it was the universe <laughs> pointing <laughs> me in the right direction to, to get me actually to talk to an occupational therapist. And I got to find out, oh, it's this wonderful combination of science, um, you know, anatomy, biology, but then psychology as well. So I thought, yeah. oh yeah, like that, that totally fits for me. My understanding of what an OT is, and I might have more than your average because my wife is a physio, but my understanding was, yeah, it's like rehabilitation when it comes to like actually uh, people applying themselves in the real world. So like, oh, you're in a wheelchair now and uh, you made your profession by, I don't know, writing or something. Well, we got to find you a proper desk and make sure it's ergonomic and something that can go that you can wheel up to. And that sort of thing was my understanding a bit. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's very good understanding. And, and this is kind of where it kind of shows how broad it can be, right? Because yeah, like it's helping people with their daily activities. And that can be at any age and any, any setting. So we all we all can be quite diverse. And it definitely leaves room for niches. And I really feel like in my work, I have found a certain niche um, with working with people with well, families with ADHD as an occupational therapist. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's very much that it's helping um, like I'm, I'm working as with the family as a unit, um, you know, definitely with a focus on the, the child or the teen around um, their ADHD, helping helping the child, the teen, the family, parents to learn about ADHD and mm-hmm. really understand why are things hard? Like why are certain daily activities hard? Um, and then we do problem solving together to figure that out. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So like, walk me back a little bit. Why ADHD? Why did you start to care about that or find interest in it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Cause it, it, you know, I actually have ADHD. I, I was diagnosed when I was in my, I think it was late, late teens, early twenties. I was fortunate that my mom, um, actually, um, got herself diagnosed cause that was at that time, they just realized there was a adult ADHD right. um, before that they thought it was just in children. Um, so my mom, my mom, I think had always struggled with certain things. So when she heard about it, she went and got herself um, assessed and so found out she had ADHD and it was at that time I was just starting to to show that I was having challenges in that in that way like I um, I was I was in university my first degree I was living with friends I had a part-time job I had all these different things going on and there were there were different things around where I was finding like I couldn't quite do everything I needed to do and I was drinking lots of caffeine. I was drinking lots of Coca-Cola. I wasn't a coffee, coffee or tea drinker at the time. Um, <laughs> but I was, yeah, that, I was self-medicating. I was, you know, trying to stimulate my brain because I had so much to do. So fortunately, then our family doctor um, diagnosed me. Um, and really, though, at that time, it was just getting, you know, I started taking medication, which definitely helped. So I didn't need so much caffeine. Um, but I didn't, I didn't learn anything about ADHD. Like, nobody really taught me anything about it. And then, you know, years later became an occupational therapist. Still, you know, we don't get a lot of training in these different professions in these different areas necessarily. Like, you know, you learn little bits. Um, but I was working um, as when I was first starting my career, I was working, um, you know, in schools. I was working with kids, all, you know, all different kids um, with different challenges. And I just found myself really drawn to the kids with ADHD, really seeing the self-esteem issues that was that were coming up and, and the mental health kind of challenges. And so I found myself going more in that direction. I just thought that this to me seems what's most important in terms of helping kids in schools, helping them to um, to feel better about themselves and, and, and what they need to do and got more and more into mental health. And then, um, yeah, and then just different life things were happening. I was starting to become more aware of my own ADHD and wanting to understand more about it. And then was hearing about ADHD coaching. And so I decided to go and get that training. Um, and then, and with that training, then I started to work with adults as an ADHD coach. I, I really don't consider it like what I do with adults occupational therapy. Um, Cause right. I, never really have worked in a setting as an, as an occupational therapist working with adults, you know, but sometimes like in Alberta, because my, my license is in Alberta, I will sometimes bring in a bit of occupational therapy with my, my clients, my coaching clients in Alberta who are adults. Like I might do a sensory assessment and right. might bring it in a bit of it, but, um, but otherwise, you know, I really stick to the training I got as an ADHD coach. And then, and it, that gives me the ability to actually work with adults outside of Alberta because right. it's not within that license. Yeah, yeah, you'd have some limitations because that's how it works in Canada. Um, I, uh, so tell me a bit about, because yeah, I actually want to get into like the sensory stuff a bit too because I'm understanding there's some connections with vestibular issues. But before we get there, what kinds of challenges, and I'm playing a bit ignorant here because I, I know from a personal standpoint but I know that some people listening might not, like they've never really thought seriously about ADHD. And like, I have a lot of really creative people who listen. And so mm-hmm. what kinds of things do they typically have challenge with? And like, what, I don't know, what's good about being ADHD? Like, like what are the pros and cons here that you tend to find in people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so with ADHD, like they've, they've realized now it, it's a brain-based condition. Like it's, um, I think it like just since the eighties or so it's been kind of recognized as a disorder. 
gone through different names, gone through different understandings, you know, we're fortunate that brain science keeps exploding and, and we're understanding more and more about the brain and the body all, all the time, which is really helpful. Um, but they, they really see it as a brain-based condition. Um, and um, it's, so it's biological. Um, but, but, but what's so hard though, is it's, it's, you know what, and this is, I think what, where there's can be so much stigma with ADHD is that people, people with ADHD stand out in terms of they can't quite do maybe some of the things that other people do. So let's say in schools, you know, it can be that the, the, the child or student with ADHD can't quite, um, you know, get their work done at the same pace, or they're having trouble focusing in, on certain things, or they can't sit in their desk. Um, and so, um, or in the, for adults too, it can be that adults just, they're not able to do the same thing, things in the same way their coworkers can. You know, and and it, and it's confusing because it's also invisible. Um, but but it's a just a it's brain wiring differences, and so the challenges that can come up um, can be like there's this um, term executive functioning skills. Mm-hmm. Um, really, what it is, it's the the executive functioning skills are our our top higher brain prefrontal cortex um, abilities for thinking about focusing, starting. Um, doing all these different things we have to do all the time. So it's, I think of it like a mental chalkboard, right. keeping track of lots of information, keeping track of what do you need, keeping track of time, um, you know, so, so you can do things in a certain way. Um, and it's a way that our world is built, you know, most people don't have ADHD. So, so, you know, the world's kind of built around, you know, being able to use these skills in certain ways. So when we have ADHD, we struggle with that. Our brain just isn't wired well for that. Um, so that's one part of it, but also, um, they recognize that the part of our brain where we process emotions and where we process certain brain chemicals, it's one in particular called dopamine. Um, our brain regulates those things differently. And so as a result, we, we need a lot of what's called stimulation. Like we need, we need to be doing things or have situations that energize us. And that can be mentally like through interest or novelty or things that are kind of make us curious um or it can be sensory things too yeah it can be like needing to be moving in order to be focused and and engaged or meeting your hands busy or needing noise and things things like that so we so it's kind of both like it's so i think and i think it's really important to talk about both yeah it's like uh, I think a lot of people with ADHD have a higher proclivity for addiction, for instance, especially dopaminergic yes. addiction, like gambling and pornography and stuff like that, because it is giving you that kick at constant stimulation that you desire. Um, and you be, be a little bit more susceptible. I know something that I've noticed, like at least from who I've talked to and like for myself is just the, the challenge around like having to do what you want to do. Not if, if people want you to do something that isn't, doesn't make sense to you, or it's kind of silly, like for schoolwork for me, like I was a terrible student because sometimes I could look at the schoolwork and say, I'm not going to need this. Like, I know that this is a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. So like I had no buy-in and because I had no buy-in, it's like, I just, I couldn't force myself to do it. I would just sit and stare at it or I'd get up, I'd leave it, I'd ignore it. There was no way I could could do it. And I still struggle with that today, like mm-hmm. working a job in normal society. If it's not something I want to do, like social media, I don't like doing social media for people. Really. Mm-hmm. I barely like doing it for myself. Though I'm getting better. Yeah. Um, I was getting paid to do it. And I just, uh, it was like grinding teeth. I was, I was starting to like hate my life having to do this and it was getting harder and harder. I was procrastinating more and it's not like I was doing it for long. So, you know, I had to focus on something else and it seems like I'd have a record of just going through things and yeah, just that willingness, like doing what you want to do seems like a pretty characteristic thing. And that seems like a kind of stigmatized attitude as well. Right. Cause it's like, oh, you're so full of yourself. You just, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and what you just described, it's so common. I think we all have our own version of where we we've, we've experienced that and yeah. And then because it's also invisible um, and people will perceive and make the wrong assumptions that, oh yeah, like, you know, you're like, you're entitled. You you need to yeah. do certain things that just, that just in certain areas that make you interested. Like, you know, and people might say, oh, we, we, wouldn't we all want that? You know, people think you're making choices, but, but again, this brain science really has shown now um, that it's no, it's like this dopamine chemical isn't being regulated properly. And so as a result, 
our brain doesn't engage the same way unless there is that certain level of interest or, um, or even just, sometimes it's even just like the just right challenge. Sometimes if things are too easy, even it can be hard for us to engage. Um, yeah. And it can be, but yeah, like you really spoke to the, the sense of the big picture meaning. Um, that's super important. And to me, that's kind of the emotion, need of the emotion and, and the, the stimulation involved because for whatever reason, like with our brain, if we don't think or feel even like the point of it and it is very hard for our brains to engage. Um, and, and it's real. And this is where often we'll say to parents of kids with ADHD that, you know, cause often kids with ADHD ask why a lot and, and parents will think, Oh, like the child's being oppositional. Like, like, yeah. why do I have to do that? But it's actually, I think that the child's saying, I need to understand the why, like, why is this important? I don't see why this is important. Um, I, I think it's about helping to create that meaningfulness. Cause once, once we feel the meeting meaning and that then it's interesting because then we go to the other degree then it's like we're unstoppable then we'll we'll run ourselves into the ground actually in terms of how hard we'll work on things yeah. when we see the purpose in it yeah that's like uh the breaks metaphor right is and i found that kind of useful for myself is that people with adhd mentally like everyone's kind of we all have car engines in our brains and most people have something that's pretty normal and they got good car engines good solid work and nice solid brakes and ADHD people tend to have like sports engines, like really ramped up engines and very poor brakes. So if you think about just certain situations in life, there is times when that's awesome. Because like if you need to race, if you need to kick ass at something and you're fully dialed into a destination, you know where you're headed, then that engine's going to, yeah, you're going to exceed, you're going to outperform, you're going to be exceptional. But then slowing down or changing or, or, you know, pivoting is going to be a lot more challenging and sometimes detrimental, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's such a good metaphor. Um, and, and I think it's so important to look at both things. Like, yeah, we need to kind of look at those breaks and figure out how do we help strengthen the breaks? Um, you know, but we also have to understand the, the super powerful sports engine because it isn't just about strengthening the brakes. We also have to kind of let's, let's understand this engine and yeah. And like, and as we strengthen the brakes, how do we, how do we work with it? Like, I think probably the same way that people who race sports cars have to understand yeah. the, the engine really well. It's such a great metaphor too, because it's like, you know, you need to know the route for instance. And that's really hard for an ADHD person, I find, is like for me, the planning stage, like I might have a goal in mind, but the step-by-step, -step, what is it that I do exactly? How many things do I need to get done today? The act of sitting down like or standing up with my whiteboard mm -hmm. and putting that down is so stressful to me. It, it fills me with such anxiety because often I'm thinking the time it takes for me to write this down is time that I could be spending doing something on the list to make it smaller and more manageable. And so I can't justify taking the time to plan. But when I have been, you know, beaten down enough to have to force myself onto a whiteboard or something, it's usually quite helpful. It just seems like I can't mm -hmm. get to that place naturally. And I think that's why the metaphor is great because, you know, if you have a roadmap, then you know, you know, where you can drift, you know, the turns you're going to make, you're going to kind of know the intensity you're allowed to bring to it without going overboard. Um, but if you don't have a map, then you're just kind of going wild and getting off track is going to happen. And it, I, I think it happens a lot to, to people who've got this condition, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what you described is, is so common in that, like, and I think this is important for people with ADHD and maybe even other people who are wanting to understand ADHD to know that it takes a lot of energy. Um, so it, like I, it's important to think about, like we all have these sort of brain body energy tanks and yeah, to sit down and to plan and to, and to really use those executive functioning skills takes our brains a lot of energy. It is helpful, but it's, it's not easy. And that's where that anxiety can come up because in a way, like our nervous system's like, ah, like that, yeah. this doesn't feel good. Um, you know, and so this is why we sometimes have to figure out our different strategies, or maybe we need a little bit of help sometimes with some of that. Yeah. So then on to like creativity a bit, I know that there's a lot of 
association as people learn about ADHD that they're like, man, ADHD people tend to be creative. And I think that statistically, it's very true that if you have ADHD, you have a much higher chance of being a very creative person. Because if you think about it, yeah, like you're you're really like just want to do what you want to do. And so you're often thinking outside the box, like you have to have your own understanding. Um, and then, yeah, you've got these powerful engines and this uh, desire for novelty. So you're always, whatever you're diving into, you're trying to experience it in a new way, an original mm-hmm. sense. So mm-hmm. this sort of goes hand in hand. But like, tell me a bit about like, what do you find like in your practice and, and everything that you do? Do you, do you see that correlation between creative people and ADHD? Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely think it is very tied to our, how our uh, brains are wired. Like when I think about say someone without ADHD that has really good executive functioning, I almost imagine like they might think in a very step-by-step linear kind of way. Um, And, uh, and that's why a lot of things like in schools and workplaces are set up that way. But the way I think about the ADHD brain in terms of how we think with our brain wiring is, is that we have a thought and then it's like five thoughts branch off that thought. And then, <laughs> and then it's all this webbing. It's like this webbed thinking. And, and I think with that webbed thinking and then, yeah, like the, the need for the stimulation and the dopamine and, and the, the newness, like you were saying, I think then, yeah, we can help but see things differently. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so it can be, um, you know, and creative in all different sorts of ways. So it can be, you know, it could be visual things, it could be music, it could be, um, you know, all the different things in the arts. Um, and but it could also be just thinking and ideas. Like I know for me, where I see myself in my creativity that I think comes from my ADHD brain is that like, I, I love learning. I love information, especially in the areas that, that I love um, learning about, but I can't help it. I think see things differently and, and how things connect. And I love that. And I love sharing that and, and helping other people see those connections. And so for me, that's where my creativity comes in. I've had other clients where it's problem solving. Like some people with ADHD, they get into jobs where they are the master problem solver and that's hmm. their creativity. Yeah, I think it's it kind of comes down to like, how do you define creativity, right? I think, and we've talked before a bit about the distinction between what's creative and what's artistic, right? And I think that there's almost some societal value there. Like what's artistic is painting and like things that have an ineffable quality, music, you know, like you can't see it, you know, and like there, there's just sort of like this, this realm of typical creative endeavors, that society has a stamp on and says, these are creative. If you're musical, you're creative. If you're um, able to be crafty and create things with your hands, you're creative. If you're an architect, you're creative because you're designing things from scratch, like that kind of thing. But that, the like I think at a base root, what creativity is, has a more universal application, right? Because you can be utilizing that in, um, like you said, in learning, like there's a creative way to go about learning and digesting information and consuming and and connecting information. And so, yeah, I know that's, and that's kind of made me think a bit too, because like, I do know personally, like someone who's ADHD, who's wouldn't consider themselves creative at all. Like they're really into sports and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, it's an, it's just an interesting thing. And I literally, like last week, lining up various calls and stuff like that for podcasts and whatnot, I had like multiple people in a row talking to creative people. And like every one of them was like ADHD. (laughs) Every single one of them was like, oh, yeah, by the way. And I'm like, hey, me too. No way. And so um, there's some kind of camaraderie that can come from that. But then there's also like there's different ways to treat it, right? Because there's non-medicinal ways, like there's, depending on severity and how, I guess, could you tell me a bit about that? Like how do people, if you have ADHD, how do you typically deal with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all, we're all unique. And, and so we all, it's, we all have our own journey figuring that out and it's not, not an easy thing to figure out. Um, the research says that most people with ADHD benefit from a combination of 
ADHD medication, but then also strategies and supports. Um, but then, you know, 20% of people with ADHD don't respond well to medication. So not even everyone has it, even that option. And it really depends on your lifestyle and, and the things you have going on. Cause it's, you know, when I think, I think about medication is it's supporting the, the, the brain chemicals like dopamine, it's giving you that stimulation in ways so that you, you can do things that are less stimulating um, that we all have to do in our life. Um, and, uh, but it doesn't take away your creativity. And I think that's something I'll often hear, like when people are, you know, kind of maybe starting out on that journey. I've had that they're concern. Worried. Yeah, yeah, they're worried they're going to lose themselves. They're worried they're going to lose their creativity. And, um, and But when I go to conferences and hear doctors who are experts in ADHD talk about medications, they explain that medications aren't meant to do that. And, and if, if, that's, if that's what's happening, then you're not on the right medication. And, and, and it can take some patience the whole process. And it's important to work with a doctor that understands ADHD because can take trying different ones, trying different dosages. Till you find that place where you feel like you're, you can be your best self. You can still be creative and, and, and use your strengths, but you're not so tired. You're not getting so overloaded and you're not falling into, yeah, some negative situations where your need for simulation dopamines is creating addictions and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, and so, yeah, so it's, I think it's, it's something I, I always want to say to people is just to make sure you're getting informed about your needs around that. Yeah. It seems to me like, it's kind of like you have to learn what parts of your personality to lean into and what parts that you need to, uh, I was going to say make better or, or deal with, or like, like what, what are your pitfalls? Right. Cause like no one's, everyone's human. Everyone's got problems. Uh, but I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're doomed I, I got to be honest, I got distracted because I saw a cat. And that's my yeah. ADHD right there. I saw a cat and my brain was like, oh, <laughs> you can't think anymore. So sorry yeah. about that. But Yeah. Yeah, I should have warned you. I know. I should have started drinking coffee sooner. That's why. <laughs> no, but what you're saying like, um, is, and this is the thing too, like we're brought up in a society that that is, you know, has certain mindsets around things and it's certainly around like when there is an issue, a medical, medical issue, uh, any mental health issue, it's all about trying to solve the problem, fix it. Yeah. Um, and that can leave all of us um, thinking there's something wrong, right? There's, you know, even just the fact that ADHD is a, called a disorder. It's a disorder. I mean, there, there are impairments that happen with it. But I think it's so important, um, and this is the way I like to talk about it, is that, I mean, it really is different brain wiring. Um, and the impairment is because our world just doesn't fit well with our ADHD brain. You know, the more we're we're creating circumstances and situations that work with our brain, the less impairment there is. Um, and I think it really is about understanding, you know, each of us, um, you know, understanding ADHD, understanding our ADHD, how it impacts us, and then embracing, like it's learning to embrace your strengths, but then also like where the challenges are without beating yourself up, like to know that it's coming from you know, biological kind of differences. Um, and that, you know, and there's ways we can work on it, but, but not to be so hard on ourselves because then that, that's kind of like this double whammy <laughs> and yeah. then, and then it makes it worse. And this is the cycle that can often happen for people. Yeah. And I'm not a stranger to that cycle as well. I mean, for, for myself, I wasn't diagnosed until I was just about 30, I think, or just turned 30. Mm -hmm. So within the last year, and that was, you know, very eye-opening for me because, um, you know, you go 30 years being a certain way, kind of feeling like, just wondering why you don't fit in, in a way mm -hmm. like, it, I, I know I kept thinking like, how does it that people just work jobs? Yeah. <laughs> how do they do that? Like they just get up every morning and it's fine mm -hmm. and they just beat themselves through it. I don't, I don't get it. And I would, yeah. you know, I can be... I'm quite extroverted. I can be charming and stuff. So I would be good in interviews. I'm able to get jobs, but I would struggle with maintaining them over a long time. Like, it's like, I would have a bit of novelty at first, like, oh, well, this is fun. I'm like helping kids or I'm like, you know, doing this thing. And that's great. But when, it, when it's ultimately not tied to like my life's purpose, like that big core sort of aim at the end, uh, it's just really tough. And what part of that is like just me being a whiner, me being someone who's like lazy or, or not disciplined? Because I always feel like maybe I'm just not disciplined enough. 
And then what part of that was, well, maybe it is just a bit harder for me to kind of do the normal thing. And that's why I'm, I'm grateful that this last year, you know, all my work started to pay off, you know, doing music videos and stuff like that for myself, because then people started to notice. And now, you know, I get paid to do that thing. I still need more work. So if you're listening, please give me work. But, um, you know, I was because of COVID, I lost a bit, but it's like, I'm actually kind of working for myself now. And so I have this freedom and everything that I'm doing applies to my longer goal of like getting really good at videography for my own music videos. So I finally kind of got onto a track that it seems like, man, I don't hate this. Like, I don't mind, you know, doing realtor videos and stuff like that. It's a bit social, but I get to learn something every time and I keep my skills sharp so that when I do go to like make a John Wick related music video that takes like, you know, a bunch of different shoots and locations and things are getting really complicated that I feel like I can do a good job. So, yeah, for me, it's like, it's just as kind of a, it was a strange realization and it's one of the ways that I connected with you because my wife is like looking up who specializes in ADHD. So, and that's, that's how, that's how we connected. Um, are there any like myths, other common myths that people have about ADHDers? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are myths um, for sure um, in our society. And, and I think they, our media um, perpetuates them. I think, you know, just even People, people talking about things, especially a lot of people don't necessarily understand ADHD, but they still might offer someone an opinion, um, even yeah. though they don't know. And so these things kind of keep going. So it's important to talk about what's not true. Um, uh, a big one is people thinking it's a behavior disorder, that it's behaviors that, that someone with ADHD can have control over if they get the right behavior strategy. And that's not, not the case because we know it's, it's brain-based um, uh, wiring differences. Um, you know, a lot of people think it, it can be a willpower thing that, yeah, if you just try harder, if you just, if you just get the motivation and you'll have more willpower and, and you can do it. And that's again, not, not the case. Um, the brain science um, proves that that's not the case. And there's also ones too where um, people think that it's just in or more prevalent in, in boys and men, and it's not. It's it's equally prevalent in in hmm. men and women, and women are very much underdiagnosed because it looks different in in girls and women. Um, and and people tend to think you know because there's that word hyperactivity. I mean, the, right. the name itself I think causes so much confusion and myths. Yeah, they got to change that. <laughs> yeah, I mean the hope the hope is I mean it, the name used to be worse, so it's. You know, it's, you know, I think it's getting better, but it's like, um, but yeah, it's because I mean, there are different aspects of hyperactivity, but it's people think physical hyperactivity, but that's actually not the common part of ADHD that there tends to be more emotional hyperactivity or mental hyperactivity. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, and that's why it can be, it's in, it's in all these different types of people. Um, and then also um, people think it's just a childhood disorder and that you just grow out of it. And that's not the case too. It's, there's so many adults who are, have ADHD and are not diagnosed. And, and I feel like that's, that's an issue. Even just the idea, people think it's overdiagnosed and it's actually underdiagnosed mm. because there's so much confusion about what it actually is. Um, and, and some people even say it's actually under medicated too. So, you know, again, people will say, oh, there's so much ADHD medication and people are just are over medicating. But there's so many people who, who are either not um, taking medication who could benefit from it or who, um, who aren't maybe um, having the optimal kind of medication too. So yeah, so I think, yeah, these myths get in the way, I think. I, and I think they actually cause harm. So I think it's really important that, that we do try to get yeah. rid of them. Well, and then in, just in terms of the calling it hyperactivity, it made me think of like the biological, like the neural hyperactivity, because there is something that I always forget what it's called, but it's like your default network yeah, something. I, I get the name. I, I was just was talking about this um, default brain mode network. Um, yeah. Dr. Edward Hallowell, big ADHD expert, experts talking a lot about this yeah. now. It's important because yeah, like it's this brain wandering network that we all have. Like apparently there's a focus network and then there's this brain wandering network. Yeah, let's break that down for people listening. So like there's sure. the, the default network, which is kind of like free association brain. or something. Yeah. Yeah, brain wandering. Like it's it, and it's just meant to be like 
the idea that if you're not focused, then your brain's at rest and it gets to just kind of wander. And, and that's actually where creativity could happen for anybody or, you know, imagination and things like that. Cause it's just sort of, you know, a brain, a brain at rest. And yeah. maybe it's even sort of like play, you know, play for the brain kind of thing. Um, and then, and let's say somebody, you know, who does not have ADHD, then maybe now they're getting to focus on a task, then that shuts off that, that, brain wandering network shuts off for them and now they can focus and they can easily go back and forth. But what yeah. they realize now about the ADHD brain is that that brain wandering does not shut off. So they, so so that you're trying to focus on a task as an ADHD person, your brain wandering network is still going and, yeah. and that can make it hard to focus. Yeah. It's like these two kind of, I guess, default modes where they can, they, they can see this like on fMRI, right? Like they can actually see what a brain looks like in this kind of free state um, default mode, which is kind of more free association. And like everybody who has any kind of normalcy in their brain has that, right? Like they're, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you're doing something. It's like if you're driving, you know, like your brain's just kind of going because you've so learned how to drive. You're not actively thinking about yeah. it. You're not focusing on it. And then there's yeah. the, the focus where you are learning to drive, where now you're paying attention to everything and those two different states. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that, like that's what they're noticing in people who who actually clinically have ADHD is that the one doesn't shut off to supersede the other. Like that, which if you think about it, like when I get, I just look at it as like the zone and not the zone, right? That's it. The zone and not the zone. And I want to be in the zone all the time as a creative person, like if I'm getting into it. But I wonder if there's something maybe fundamentally different about a person who is ADHD and in the zone versus someone who isn't ADHD and in the zone. Not to say one is better than the other, but they're different ways. Because if I'm in the zone like this, there's also a part of me that's firing off different ideas and making these sort of connections in the background that mm -hmm. if I really have that zone dialed in, then I can follow those rabbit trails, which are, let's say, sometimes not productive, but maybe the more I've trained myself, the more I've done it, I'm able to find these nuggets and go in really novel, interesting, creative directions. And so that's to me, like, what an advantage. But then at the same time, it's like, mm -hmm. what a brain suck, what a energy, like, it takes so much too. So then I know we've talked about like, I mean, I'll just throw on a podcast I think you do the same thing too, right? Like to, to kind of keep the free association mode going and entertained or whatever yeah. you like put on a podcast. Cause then it allows you to kind of focus while you're doing mm -hmm. something else, be not stimulating, right? Like, Oh, I'm like, man, I can't even vacuum without like listening to something. Like I'll put on my big headphones yeah. mm -hmm. because yeah. it, yeah, it gets rid of the monotony somehow, or it makes me feel like I'm doing something productive. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, because and and Edward Howell talks about he'll actually even call that brain wandering, even though like there are those amazing strengths that come with it. He calls it the demon though because it it has the tendency to be more negative, just like how I mean, all of our brains are wired for survival, so we we have a tendency or, or negativity bias. So so the wandering will be more negative more of the time, and so and because we have it going all the time, it's we have these negative loops even more than other people going all the time and which can create this rumination. So yeah. So then let's say you're doing something pretty boring, like vacuuming, it's going on and on about how awful it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you want it, you got to entertain that part of your brain. So it's not telling you all that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting to me. This, it seems like just a more extreme way of living, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Intense. Yeah. We live intensely. <laughs> yeah, which is like in many ways, I, I think, desirable, right? Like I know that mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who have looked up to like my passion or something or, or my mm -hmm. enthusiasm. Because like yeah. when I really get into something and I'm loving the heck out of it, I'm it's euphoric, right? Like I'm in, I'm in a whole mm -hmm. other world. Like in this room, in this studio, like how many times have I like finished something to just sort of like, um, what's the word? not perseverate that's like like physically like just rock back and forth listening to something because I'm just so entranced in it like yeah. I'm so happy like I just made like last night I literally finished editing the first draft of a music video and I just I watched it like probably 10 times on repeat while I just kind of stood and like rocked like a crazy person just in this giddy mm -hmm. excitement um 
it's like a kind of a crazy cool thing but then there is that dark side and in my life i've experienced much depression much anxiety um being lost in these these mental states of like why am i stuck doing things that i don't want to do and i don't know how to get out of it and then just you know burying myself and victim mentality and all that and it, it's taken a lot of wisdom um i think for me like just certain practical things on how to deal with that before I even knew it was ADHD that are probably practical for everybody, but especially so for me. Um, I guess mm -hmm. I just, I just feel like I'm still scratching at the surface of understanding it. It's like, what does it mean in an existential sense? Like if you're mm -hmm. like, what, what does that mean? If there's like such a percentage of the population that is, set aside to be this kind of more extreme higher highs lower lows potential it, it what's the function in society that that we're supposed to play and like it makes you question like i could see where people say oh you shouldn't you know people who are like anti-medication right they're like never do that i see that reasoning sometimes from an evolutionary standpoint because you're thinking like oh well if you're this way you're probably you know you're a hunter, like you're, you're meant to be this way and you just have to find a way to cope with society outside of it and still make, make a living. But I've also yeah. noticed that it really is a, a disability sometimes, like you can't get out of certain traps, some certain mental traps, you know? Yeah, no. And, and these are, yeah, the, the big kind of questions and, and, and this is why I find brain science so helpful because I mean, there's so much talk now with, the understanding that, I mean, all of our brains were kind of still have a, a brain and body nervous system that, that was created in the paleo era, right? Mm. And our world now is way beyond that. Um, and so, so everybody, I think it can be overloaded in our world, but especially us with ADHD, because we have nervous systems that are sensitive. Um, you know, we, we, um, we, we burn up more energy, you know, we're more sensitive to stress. And, um, and so, um, and, and then I think especially that the way the world is, and even just our need for intensity, right, that, um, that it, it can be a lot. And so, yeah, like, I, I think it's about every person has to kind of figure out what makes sense to them. But I think, yeah, you really have to think of your mental health that we do live in this world, you know, like, you know, maybe if someone's lucky enough to have ADHD and they create this amazing life situation that just matches their brain, then that's great. But a yeah. lot of us, you know, we, we still live in the world with other people and we, you know, we have to sometimes do things that work that don't work for our brain and, and, you know, and still make that work. Yeah. Well, that's what they call it. Like the CEO's disease. I've heard of that because, mm. you know, those people who have like ascended through, like they've, they've kind of dialed into their obsessive tendencies and have learned how to make a lot of money doing it, they can kind of craft a lifestyle around, let's say, their ADHD. I've heard that, yeah, like if you're a CEO, you have a higher chance of having ADHD than a lot of other types of jobs. Uh, I had a really good question pop into my mind. What do you see as like the balance? How do you find a balance as an individual with ADHD between, let's say, understanding your condition but not embracing it to the point of like a victim mentality. Like I can't, like, how do you balance? Well, my brain sucks a little bit and I can't think straight or it's harder for me to make decisions and stuff with also self-efficacy and being like, man, I've got to, I know that I have to take charge in my life and I have to be the one to enact change and no one's going to give me handouts and stuff. And maybe to like, just further illustrate that point, I read about a study, which I wish I could cite, which has to do with willpower, for instance. And there's two different trains of thought on willpower. One of them is that it is an exhaustible resource, that um, it's pretty exhaustible. And then another one says it's not really exhaustible. Maybe it's harder to access at times, but it's not exhaustible. And they primed people for like equivalent of a marshmallow test, like how long could they not have a marshmallow like, th like that, but for adults. Mm -hmm. And... What they did was they primed one group by telling them that it is an exhaustible resource. So they would say that, you know, this is a study about willpower. And, you know, because what we found is that people have limited willpower, that you really only have so much in a day and then you kind of need to re replenish it. And then you also have the other group 
which they said, you know, what science is starting to show is that willpower is actually um, inexhaustible and that it can go on uh, forever. It may be harder to access at times, but really it's always there. You can always make a choice. And they tell these two different groups things. And they found that the group that was told it's inexhaustible performed much better on the marshmallow test, right? Because it's that sort of, they had a belief that they had the ability to access more willpower and boom, magically, they had it. Maybe there's still limit to it, but they were able to access more. So it kind of, sorry if this is the rabbit trail, but it brings me back to my oh, yeah, question. It's like, how do you balance the act of like, I have ADHD, my brain has kind of crappy breaks sometimes, makes me hard for this and that. Like, how do you not embrace that, but still respect it and have a balance of like taking charge in your own life? Like, what do you find? How do you find that? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. That's an interesting study. Um, you know, I found um, coming across Stuart Shanker's work, and he's he's a um, very brilliant, he was a professor of psychology and um, philosophy at York University. He worked in child development with, the, with great, amazing people like Stanley Greenspan for many years. Um, when I came across his approach about, I guess, maybe five years ago, it really changed a lot for me because he's taken the brain, newer brain science of understanding um, uh, some things around like the stress cycle and energy and the balance of it. And, um, and I found learning about the science and then his framework around how you start to actually look at what drains you, what fills you um, and tuning into that. Cause I, hmm. cause the way our world is, we lose touch with our body and our brain and, and maybe that's sort of the idea of willpower, like, no matter what, push, push yourself through. And, and I would wonder even in that study, it's like, you know, maybe they did, but I'd like to know how they did after I'd like in that study, right? Well, how was their next day? Because often what it can be is maybe for whatever reason, we can sometimes push ourselves through, but there's a cost to it. And I, and I guess I've learned from, from myself. And again, this Stuart Shanger's approach and then applying that and now using that in my work has, has really helped me to get that, that, yeah, like there is only so much energy. We can do things to boost our energy, but, but yeah, like there's always this balance going on and, and there's a stress cycle and there's things that are just outside of our, our control. And I just, to me, that just really helped explain so much. And then that really then made me so much better at using my ADHD executive functioning tools. I found actually had the energy, you know, you can have the best tools in the world, but if you don't have the energy, Sometimes you can push yourself through, but again, next day, next day, you're more tired. And um, so, so that's been super helpful. And then self-compassion, you know, bringing that into my, my practices, like I, I've done mindfulness for a long time, um, but it wasn't until I got into these practices that incorporate self-compassion where it's not only are you focusing on your breath and you're noticing, you know, sounds and all that, but you're bringing this real kindness and soothingness that I feel like most of us in our culture aren't taught to do. And I think as NHD people, we actually need to learn how to cultivate like self-soothing and self-kindness to help ourselves to kind of, yeah, like to be aware of our challenges and to support ourselves through it. Yeah. It's like also, I guess, living living your best life and bringing your full potential, right? Because you, you have everyone, if you're not doing your best, like, you know it, right? Like, you have that kind of internal sense. And, and this isn't for ADHD, it's for everyone. That at the end of the day, you know, you're trying to fall asleep and you think, you know, I could have done more. Like, I could have done this right. Or I didn't have to yell at my kids. Like, honestly, I knew I could have walked out. I could, I could have had a second to myself. I could have tagged my wife in. Like, there's a lot of different things we can think about in retrospect. And I guess it's like, if you're not doing everything you can, to make the best use of your situation, you're going to notice. And that's going to create a lot of problems. And I think that it's like a balance of compassion where you need to be like, well, everyone makes mistakes um, and you need to respect learning. Like you need, you need to respect what you've done so that you can learn from it. But there also has to be that drive of, you kind of need that Marine in your head a little bit saying like, okay, but you can, keep working you can try again you can do better and they like the marine has to get along with the compassionate person too like they have to be friends (laughs) 
or, or my thought is, can, can you bring them together? Because I feel like, and this is again where I think the science is important to know that, you know what, there's actually times where you probably couldn't have, you know, like when we look back and again, when you understand again, the tank and the fact that we're, all of us are very prone to go into the fight or flight response, especially when you have ADHD, there's points actually you did not have enough access to your top brain to actually have made a choice in that moment. And again, this is where that science helps our compassion. And then, and then it's being able to look back and, and have like, you know, rather maybe be a drill sergeant, but could it be our compassionate drill sergeant that they're, you know, they're definitely, we need to be reflective and look at, yeah, like let's look at the situation and, and what happened and what's our responsibility, but not beat ourselves up for something we couldn't have made a better choice with. But then, but then how do we learn in terms of, well, maybe, maybe we needed to have filled up our tank better yeah. that day. Like that's what yeah. the issue was. No, you nailed it there. And I think that's, uh, you said this is Shanker's approach of, of focusing much on energy. And I know that's something that I'm still trying to understand because it's like, you know, everyone's got different cups to fill um, in different mm -hmm. areas of their life. And, you know, sleep, exercise, eating right, those are like the simplest of cups that most everyone I, I know has some kind of level to struggle with that. But it seems like if you're ADHD, that can really throw you out of whack. Like it can really hype things up, you know, like a normal person, let's say normal person. Yeah. Normal person. Yeah. You could, <laughs> they could like, let's say go a couple of nights in a row, terrible sleep, you know, bad sleep. Right. They stayed yeah. up late, you know, made a couple of dumb decisions. And that third day though, like they still show up to work, they still get her done. And, you know, maybe they just have a nap after supper or they go to bed early the mm -hmm. next day. Like they finally kind of come around and they're like a bit cranky that day. But like your ADHD and you've had like these two nights, they throw you way off. Like you're yeah. that that day you're you're much more volatile. Like you're kind of in this yeah. state of like, I am gonna snap somebody's neck and mm -hmm. um until you get sleep. But then you're also like, but I have stuff to do and I've got this I need this uh yeah. stimulation. So yeah, like it can it's like uh there's two different spirals. There's a downward one and an mm -hmm. upward one. And if you're on the upward one, you're you're anticipating and taking care of the of your cups. You're filling them in a way so that when you do encounter challenges, you're more likely to meet them properly, as opposed to on the downward spiral where your cups are, you know, you got empty ones all over the place, and then you meet that challenge and you fold at the knees. Well, it's gonna happen. It's probably gonna mm -hmm. happen, right? Um yeah. yeah, it kinda it almost feels like addiction management, you know, like Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like an alcoholic will avoid the near occasion of sin. They will avoid going to the bar. They'll avoid certain friends. They'll learn how to craft their life in an area that is sober and freer, freer of temptation. So it is with ADHD. You have to understand what your triggers are and what's going to set you off. And then you have to operate with the willpower you have to kind of remove that. Well, I understand your needs is the way I like to think about it because it's, and, and this is where, yeah, it's good to look that there's different types of stress that Stuart Shanker's approach helps to look at that, you know, and, and that learning just sort of how to tune into that and, and know that, um, yeah, that, that we can't when, when we're too depleted and, and it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation that hopefully, I know for me, it just, it, it helped to make the difference in terms of then not only then helping me to reflect back and, and, and get more clear on the connection, like the empty tank and the consequences of it. And then, and really, and then to me that that's what drives the, the, the desire to do these things, to fill myself up. Like um, before, again, before this approach, I, there, I, all of those things would be shoulds on my list, like exercise every day and, and eating, mm. eating a certain way. And, um, and uh, even med meditating every day, those were shoulds that I maybe wasn't doing every day, but then tuning into your tanks and, and really, really noticing and, and, and really understanding just how, how it, it limits you when, when you don't have the energy in your tank, that to me is now driven me to the point that I, I mean, or helped me to connect to why I need to exercise every day. Like I feel the difference. And so it's like food. I wouldn't want to miss it now because it's, yeah. it's a need of mine. Yeah. And then because you're getting that exercise, like you're, you're feeding your brain in a way to make healthier decisions too. So you're kind of more prepped to, you know, 
have these positive habits the next day and the next day. Mm -hmm. And no, I mean, it sounds like you've, you've learned a lot to apply like in your own life. And, and for me, I feel like, you know, it's been a a lot of up and down cycles, but I've certainly, I know I've, and I've experimented like in my case with medication and, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying a new one that I thought was going well, but now I don't think it's going well. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I don't know if I'm one of the people who just can't handle it too sensitive, but, or if I just haven't found the right one, but I'm glad to at least know this about myself now. Um, I feel like if I knew it when I was a teenager, that Mm. would have been maybe more helpful to everyone around me, you know, like for me, sure. But like, if my teachers knew that it might've changed a lot of different approach, right? Like, um, I'm lucky to have made it through school because of like how terrible a student I was. I think that in some cases I just got by on my charm. In fact, I know I had, yeah, I had a teach. I had one teacher who was like, uh, I failed biology, like biology 20. You need that to graduate. And I think, yeah, I failed it. And she pulled me aside after class and she's like, um, it was like 48% or something. She's like, Hey, I want you to know that I changed your mark by like 3% just so you would pass. So I wouldn't see you again. (laughs) I was like, Oh, thank you. Actually. I really appreciate that. And she was like, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, Um, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's, it would have been, it would have been different, but I'm also glad that I kind of went through crap in school because now I have some perspective. Um, I learned what it, what it means to really hustle and work hard and, and also lean into my strengths kind of up to this point. Like I wouldn't have the career that I have if I didn't really lean into those strengths out of like absolute necessity, survival almost. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I feel like, I feel like this is coming to a nice conclusion. I thought I would just give you the floor one more time. Like, is there anything else, any more juice we ought to squeeze out of this conversation? Because knowing that my audience is quite creative, they, they, you know, they have creative interests and half of them are probably ADHD themselves. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. wondering like what else you might say to them that they should have a a takeaway from. Yeah, well, I mean, and just to comment even on, on your story, again, I think everything you've described has, you know, everyone, I think, with ADHD can relate to um, that. In, in a lot of ways, too, I think, um, you know, where we end up as ADHD people, in a way, it's kind of is, it's it's, it's adaptive survival. Like, we, we go where our brains want us to go, we go where our strengths go, and we we figure things out. We're actually very resilient people. Um, and uh, And then, yeah, and then for your audience, like, I mean, hopefully just the information was helpful. Like, you know, if there's someone listening who, who thinks they may have ADHD and, and is struggling, I definitely recommend just going at least getting an assessment just, just to find out. Cause, um, if you do have ADHD and it's getting in your way, it can be life-changing just to start, you know, yeah. understanding that what that brain wiring is and then looking at the different options that are out there. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be like with a psychologist, you can actually, you know, see a doctor like in, in whether it's your family doctor or, or, um, or asking for a referral to a psychiatrist who understands more about ADHD, definitely, definitely worth looking into at least just to, to rule it out. And cause yeah, it's just about the more we understand, um, you know, ourselves, the more we can figure out what we need versus being caught in this, yeah, cycle of thinking, feeling like you're this square peg in a round hole and, and all the, the negative yeah. stuff that goes <laughs> along with it. It's just not worth it. No. And there's, yeah, a lot of people admire the square peg. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot more to life than just the struggles you might have because you're not able to meet the challenge of ordinary life. Like there, there's, there's so much more potential that you might have locked inside of you that if you had some better Mm -hmm. understanding you -hmm. would be able to tap into that and really kind of get on that upward spiral um so a last thing about yourself so you do coaching for adhd people so and something Mm -hmm. you specialize in so if anyone Mm -hmm. was listening how might they reach out to you and also like maybe tell tell us a bit about some of these groups that you're thinking of starting or that you have already yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, like my website is kristaotcoach.com. So um, yeah, like 
yeah, like for, for the ADHD coaching with adults, um, I can, I can do that for pretty much any, anybody in the world, like uh, that's out there, um, in terms of if people are interested and you can, um, certainly just reach out and I'm always happy to have a little phone chat around just, um, talking about what you're looking for, for coaching and my approach and seeing if it's a fit. Um, yeah. And it, and I've mostly just done work with individuals for, for, several years but I am now looking at um starting I'd like really like to start a group and I'm and there's been a little bit of interest so I'm, I'm kind of like finding out who who all might be interested but having a group where it's a coaching group um for adults with ADHD where we 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 talk about what it is you know the common the challenges that, it, that everyone's experiencing and and then how do you you know learning to embrace it learning to to work with your brain and work with the differences not against it um and and having a group around that and um and also like I'm I I sometimes am doing some free webinars and I'm trying to use social media myself um to put information out there so um I've, I've, I'm on Facebook and Insta- I, I might start Instagram I'm not sure I'm, I've gone Twitter too so yeah just yeah I I guess start with my website and and see see if the information is helpful for you. Yeah, well, and it was certainly helpful for me because, you know, like I didn't know who to talk to about any of this, and I had so many myths and preconceptions. And I read a book, which was, which was helpful. But then they like updated the book, and that one just came out too. So there was like even further. Like there's a lot out there. So yeah. I'd advocate too if you're ADHD or suspect that you're ADHD to a look into it. But why, why coaching can actually be a really great model in terms of people with ADHD as opposed to typical psychotherapy because a lot, of, a lot of it is like, yeah, you need a deeper understanding of your childhood and why you are the way you are. But also a lot of it is like how do you manage your life on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and mm-hmm. kind of keeping it interesting, novel, and rewarding mm-hmm. with a coach I found – like my experience is very, very helpful. And, uh, I'd highly recommend it for anybody looking into that. Um, so, okay. Well, thank you very much, Krista, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I feel like this was a great conversation and I did pretty good for time too. Like, uh, I'm getting better at that being a little punchier, (laughs) actually hitting the points and, uh, yeah, I'd love to have you on again sometime. Yeah, no, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T dot com. Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and sane.